Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And of course, thank you for leaving us all those reviews on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate it. Find us on Twitter at Rugby Dungeon, me at Jay Beardmore, or even, even Egg Chasers at Rugby Podcast. Okay. I'm delighted to be joined by a guy who's not only multi, multi-positional, he's multi-talented, but he's most definitely... Multi speed. It's Greg Bateman. How, uh, how are you, mate? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not, not sure about the multi speed bit, but I'll I'll take it. Oh uh, well, I wasn't sure about the multi speed bit until I actually saw the multi speed bit. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're referring to. I hope this is rugby. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, some of your uh, some of your barnstorming runs, mate. Oh, I see. Yeah, look, it's uh, you know you just find yourself in a bit of space and you've got to do something with it. It's, Exactly. So what have you been up to today then? So today's a recovery day for us today. Uh, so managed to find myself uh, having a little brunch. Where our sports psychologist was down, so I spent some time with him. Oh, really? Uh, really? Although, t- to be honest, it wasn't a great deal of rugby chat with him today. Uh, then I went and picked up some golf clubs, as that's my, my latest craze and i had a haircut today that's about as exciting as uh, my, my life's been nice uh, how often do you see the sports psychologist and is that a full-time member of the tiger staff uh so our sports psych will come once a month and we, we've all got access to him and you know when he comes in he'll just sort of drop a text to let people know that he's around so he's, he'll be around the club he, he was there all day yesterday and then he's obviously stays the night and then catches up with some of the boys the following day. So, um, yeah, I mean, people obviously see him for various different reasons. And uh, for me, I suppose it's having um, someone to talk to about like preparation and, you know, all that sort of stuff that perhaps we don't sort of get the time to deal with yeah. with, uh, with your coaches during the week. And it's also sometimes quite nice to not have... Um, not have those conversations with your coaches and stuff because you, you kind of want to have it away from the guy that's going to pick you or not pick you at the weekend, you know? It's an interesting topic, actually, because um, I've got, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit dubious about sports psychologists. I guess I still am. Uh, but okay. I was lucky enough to sit in with a guy called Damien Hughes, who um, yes. who was doing a talk with John Wilkin, and they were recording one of the other podcasts here. And I, I just found him utterly engaging and fascinating. Now... Whether that in itself is enough to in- increase performance, I don't know. But there's certainly some value in it. I just couldn't really quantify what that value was. Yeah, I would say it's, it's certainly a personal preference. Mm. Um, but 
I think you can't underestimate if players or coaches or whoever see the value in it, then anything's going to be useful, isn't it? Whether that's a mental thing, a physical thing, uh, if you see the value in something, then there's almost that placebo effect of some degree. Now, I personally feel like there is, there is a, a tangible difference between um, having it and not having it. Um, also, like you touched on Damien, who's there, for example, he's actually coming in to talk to, to Tigers, oh, I nice. think, in November. Um, there's quite a few of us that are interested in that sort of personal development, club culture side of stuff. There's actually quite a few boys that are doing the Masters in Sports Directorship at Salford. Oh, oh really? Uh, Ed Slater's doing that? That's it, yeah. So um, he started that while he was here with Matt Tate. Our head of medical, Ed Hollis, is, is doing it as well. And Matt Tamur has just started it. So I think it's a very popular um, thing that... Because obviously we've all been professional like throughout our careers, whereas our coaches were amateur to professional. So that's going to be the new blood of coaches as the guys that were professional from 18. Yeah, absolutely. So, it is. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, what would you what would you rely on your sports psychologist for? I mean, what what areas would you be more comfortable talking to them about other than your coaches? And actually, you know, I, I know it's a personal question, but you know, if you don't if you don't mind enlightening us a bit, I think it'd be very interesting. Yeah, sure, not at all. Um, so, for me, uh, sports psychologist, the the most helpful part is just sitting down and looking over a week's training and and making sure that. I get the most out of the sessions mm-hmm. because you've got to bear in mind for us, uh, us players, we get our calendar through on our phone. We just need, and we're all, we're all professional idiots, aren't we? Really, it's, in a, it's an extension of sixth form college. We just have to get told <laughs> what time to turn up. Yeah. And we're spoon fed. You turn up to a session and, and you just have it in front of you. I think if you really want to be a top performer, you need to be able to, oh, get a bit of, be back there, are we? Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, we're fine now. Okay. Uh, top performing environments is where the the players or uh, performers will rip into those sessions. They so get the most out of them. And I think that's what I found helpful is just looking at the week as a whole and just making sure that I'm getting everything I need. So, like, for example, when I used to play hooker, I used to make sure I'd have extra throwing, for example, or like I'd have a certain amount of reps that I'd feel like I'd need for a line-out, just for confidence, or um, you know, do I need to watch some extra footage because I've, I may be perhaps carrying a niggle, so I, but I need the mental reps rather than the physical reps. And it's just one of those things that, it's very easy to drift through a training week. And I know that might sound strange to people who don't do it for a living, mm. but it's so easy because the coaches, they, they design all our sessions. They tell us what to do. They tell us how we're going to play. Um, but to take real ownership of that is probably the the biggest growth for all of us. And it's something that um, I've worked on in the last year or so. It's not something that I've done yeah. for a long time. And what else would I speak to you about? Probably um, just the, the way I learn. So I'm quite a visual or doing learner and probably not much of a you know write it down and remember if I get given a line out or a playbook a sheet piece of paper with words on it it's not going to make any difference to me but I know that I need to visualize it and see it and do it so um just understanding that also we've done personality profiles so that's been really helpful from a business side of stuff just understanding how I best uh, interact with people and people interact with me that's been really helpful so yeah a whole variety of stuff really 
Uh, I love the fact you mentioned that, like how you learn because people don't really consider that. Um, I'm a relatively severe dyslexic. You know, it, just just have a look at my Twitter feed if you don't believe me. And uh, <laughs> it, it's when we were when we were in school, I actually developed a, a, a dyslexic a dyslexic teaching aid. And you're absolutely right. Some people learn lit, uh, by touch. Some people learn by sound. Some people learn by illustrations. And I think that quite a lot of times, coaches will look at how you convey information to a player, and it will be just one format. It'll be you know, PowerPoint is the you know. Um, uh, uh, is the classic, but it's just the different modalities of learning. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you, you have to tell sort of, in some regards, that's very hard for a coach. There's only so much time, there's 40 lads, and you're trying to get everybody on the same page very quickly after a win or a loss, and then you're trying to win the league at the end of the year. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if as players we take more ownership, then we can we can find out what works best for us. So I, I think I um, didn't enjoy school because it, it's uh, just the way that you're forced to learn. I didn't I didn't suffer with dyslexia or, or, or anything like that. But it just I'm not a, a, a sitter and a reader, or certainly wasn't then. I read stuff now that I'm interested in. But yeah. um, I just think having that understanding of how you best learn also means, like for me outside of rugby because um, believe it or not I do have a life outside of rugby um, it means that I know how to best get the quality out of those things that I do as well if that makes any sense oh completely um, so you know it's just making sure that you kind of have that wholeness to, to what you do yeah now you, um, you've mentioned ownership quite a few times there um, how, uh, oh. sorry <laughs> uh, player ownership yeah how important is that to you? And like, how receptive are, are coaches? Say, if you come up with an idea, you know, I want to do X, Y, X, Y, Z in the scrum, or is it a little bit more removed than actually how you play? Is it more about the organisational side of stuff? I would. Uh, it, I don't think it's a um, an ownership like. Oh, I know the whole game plan is X, but I've decided that Y is cool. I'm going to do the why. I think that's where you can have major issues. And um, I think for me, it's it's when I'm talking about player ownership, I'm talking about, as I say, me getting the most out of what's put on offer yeah. there and getting the most out of the sessions that already exist rather than trying to um, invent something else or knowing that I need to go and do some physio or some recovery or whatever. Uh, but I do think that it's important, though. Uh, I'm very lucky that I'm, I'm at a club where I could go and talk to the coach and I could say, look, I think our strategy on this, you know, have we considered this? And I can get told yes or no, but all you want as a, as a player in an environment is to be heard. And we all want to win. That's, that's why we're all there. That's why we're all at that level, because we all want to win something. So nobody would take offence if you, if you did question anything but you're not questioning it because you don't believe in what you're already doing you're just trying to improve yeah and it's, that, it's, it's a culture of openness which you're seeking really yeah i think so and i think you know high performing environments the uh keys to success are when people feel valued and like they're safe mm. so uh which um I'm not sure if I should say this, but obviously hasn't necessarily been the case at Tigers in recent times. But I think you're, uh, if you're in an environment where you feel like 
you can at least suggest something as long as it's with the right intent. You know, yeah, you, it, you want to learn, you want to win. It's not because you're trying to upset the apple cart and just throw a spanner in the works, is it? Does that make sense and answer your question? Yeah, absolutely, it does. Um, are you on the sports mastership course as well? Sorry, have I got that that, that term right? Is it sports mastership course that I've been Salford? Uh, I think it's uh, directors of sports That's management. Sure. So I was actually really interested in doing it. I really wanted to because it was something I was very interested in doing when I finished. Mm. Was uh, being involved in a sort of rugby operations capacity, or even potentially um, being an agent. I have I thought a lot about it. I think um, I turned down doing it this year just with some personal stuff. I had uh, quite a bit on my plate. I think what I'm probably going to do now is I'm probably going to do a a normal MBA rather than specify into sport. I've got a lot of um, other interests business-wise, and I think doing an MBA kind of keeps both of those options open, whereas uh, the sports management, whilst is completely fascinating to me, uh, I kind of live and breathe that environment every day, and I'd like to have the option to go corporate if, if it's a possibility yeah completely agree with that and also is the you know is the rugby environment per se or even even the uk sporting environment developed enough to actually you know um warrant warrant an mba you know are are there other things that you could get that that you could get more out of with overlap yeah potentially and it's it's interesting to talk about actually um because i've been trying to sort all this out this week so it's it's kind of fresh in my mind so i can answer that question fairly well i think but I think, you know, the thing for me is I, I'd feel fairly, uh, well, very comfortable from most discussions uh, on a business acumen level or a leadership level or, a, you know, just being able to to work in an environment. But I think, and we, we have as players such a, a vast uh, transferable skill set from what we do and I don't, I'm not just talking like generic things like working in teams and whatever you know we're incredibly driven people that uh, are used to dealing with more pressure than your average person yeah. and I think um, that's great but what I don't want to do is hang all my hopes and my hats on that one thing what I'd like is to be able to uh, go through that kind of format of thinking and show that I can think at that higher level with the you know the piece of paper that effectively allows you to do that, and that hopefully means that you can go in at a slightly higher level than finishing rugby and you know starting off at the bottom somewhere uh, on the way into my, what might be my new career. Do you, do you think rugby's getting more pressurised for players? Yeah, I think. Well, it's hard to say. I mean. I think Leicester Tigers is a club that does have a lot of pressure because of the expectation around the club and, you know, everybody loves it when we're not doing well. And that, so there is a lot more pressure here, you know, and I was I was at Exeter the year before they won the Premiership and it didn't feel like there was an awful lot of pressure there. Um, oh, right. But they don't have a history that they're competing with, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely so, makes sense. As we do. And I think it's not so much... Uh, is it getting more pressurised? It's kind of the game is so, and our league is so competitive. There's probably not a, a league in the world that's as competitive as the, as the Premiership. Like anybody could literally beat anybody anywhere. Yeah. So you have to be on it every week, and it, that's probably so evident. And I, I don't mean to sort of 
sound like the bitter English clubs talking about this, but it's been so evident with like the Heineken Cup, for example, mm. the Irish teams and just the amount of game time that those boys have had in comparison to our lads uh, because they get rested and can have time off. and uh, So not just physically, but mentally they're a lot fresher. So it, it's hard to say you're under more pressure, but the reality is you're probably just more fatigued. Yeah. And then you know, even if the pressure is the same, it will feel like more. So then if the pressure goes up and you're more fatigued, then it's it's even more itself, isn't it? So I think we're we're in an interesting time for for rugby in, in this country and the extended season with the proposed breaks and it could be interesting uh, to you know just see what effect that has on, on players and their welfare. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, the Heineken Cup. I heard a stat this week and I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but it's something like the Leinster 15 that started had exactly the same amount of starts from the, from the beginning of the season as the Wasps 15, which was banded around as, hey, look, both teams rest players. But actually, what we were looking at are the Leinster players getting rested throughout the, se- well, throughout the beginning of the season ready for Europe, whereas all the Wasps guys had low appearances because they were filling in for injured players or they hadn't been in, be, been in the club so long. So almost exactly the same amount of starts, but, but for completely different reasons. And mm. um, yeah, so circumstance is a massive one, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe that is the case. Also, you know, whatever, however you want to read into it, Leinster are a quality side. Is you know, n- nobody's looking around thinking <laughs> yes. that we're, we're hard done by. Like they're, they're a quality outfit, Leinster, and uh, I don't think there's any shame in, in in losing to them. But I just think that, and that wasn't really a, a comment. To, to make that comparison, I'm just saying that I was making the point from a welfare point of view of of emotional and, and mental rest as well as physical rest is very important. And I just think that's quite evident in comparison. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I always think like the beauty of the Heineken Cup, and it's great, isn't it, that we can finally call it the Heineken Cup again. Okay, uh, well, actually, that is really interesting to interrupt Yeah, no, go, go for it. How clever are they leaving it for two years? Everybody still called it the Heineken Cup anyway, then went back and bought it back for a fraction of the price of what they paid for it before. It's genius, isn't it? It's absolutely genius. Well, they messed up. They had like three headline sponsors and no one, I can't remember how many, it was multiple headline headline sponsors. No one bit. Then when they said, yeah, should we call it the Heineken Cup again? Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone calls it the Heineken Cup. Of course they do. And, you know, for them, it's it's genius. But hey, go on, Carol. Uh, Sorry, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, what I love about the Heineken Cup is it gets to test systems and theories. So, I mean, I actually think the theory behind the Premiership, the reason it's a wonderful league and why it should produce great teams is because of that cut and thrust you've got every week. I, I would have assumed, and it seems to be that I'm wrong, but I would have assumed that because of a cut and thrust, you guys come in battle-hardened with the latest and greatest strategies because you've got to use them every week in order to be competitive. Whereas, you know, resting players, you know, if those guys have only had a handful of competitive games, how how does that work? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's obviously that theory that you need to be playing to be, you know, match fit and all the rest of it. But once you've played, you know, a couple or three games, and obviously this is very different for every player, you, you're fit. So, providing you don't get injured, you can keep that fitness up. Um, so, you can't underestimate fre- feeling fresh going into a game versus 
you know, we've had seven massive games now from the start of the season. We've had a, a variety of in- injuries to like our front five. So there's a lot of boys with very high minutes in an incredibly competitive league. So that's what I mean. All right, yeah, we might have a similar amount of appearances or whatever, but the premierships are a pretty physical old league. Oh, you know? it's awesome. It's awesome. I appreciate it. It's not maybe the greatest for player welfare, but I don't get excited on a Friday evening looking forward to watching the Pro 14. As good as the Pro 14 is, and that isn't a knock on you know, the quality of the teams and the quality of players. There's just a certain ferocity of the Premiership which makes you look forward to it every weekend. Oh, good. Well, uh, that's pleasing. You know, From a player's point of view, that's pleasing for us. We want to know that the, the league's popular and people want to tune in and they want to watch it. Also, we all want to be involved in exciting games. You know what I mean? We don't want to be, we don't want to be in three nil, three nil um, games or dead rubbers or stuff that doesn't actually mean anything. You can go from eighth to second after a couple of weeks in the Premiership, which is, is quite an impressive feat, really. So you have to be on it every week. And I think that's why the league's so competitive. And every week is a massive week, which why, you know, you can't sort of just keep um, the physical demands up all the time because eventually something will go. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's uh, a certain interesting time. Now, uh, just a quick, like tangential point now about fitness. Um, uh, we... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how much I can add to you. Well, you know, we um, we we do another podcast called Egg Chasers, and you know, we we it's just three mates, and we kind of discuss rugby to the nth degree. And someone was mentioning the fitness of a Pro 14 team versus uh, versus a Premiership team this weekend and they they said well basically because pro 14 guys can wrestle players they they come in fitter and also i i'm just gonna extend this to the england team who when they go away with england they just seem to do horrendous fitness completely now you're in the middle of the season you're a professional athlete how much fitter do you think that you could that you could be or do you think it's like psychological the levels of the, the levels of the, the levels of fitness Sure, good question. Uh, don't know the answer, but I'll give you give you my two pence. I think, uh, as I sort of alluded to before, I don't necessarily know if you're actually getting any fitter, but I think being fresher, feeling less fatigued, you're gonna your output's gonna be higher, isn't it? So you're yeah. gonna be able to run faster. You're gonna be able to hit harder. You're gonna be able to carry stronger, or um, you know. Whereas if you have more load in your your system. It's harder to produce the same output, in, in, and that's just a very simple way of looking at it. But then, if you go from the psychological point of view, uh, as I was talking about before, if you have to get up for a game every single week and you're on that emotional roller coaster, because you know there's not many teams that just win every single week. There's only a couple of teams in our yeah. league that do that at the moment. Uh, you, unless you're just doing that you're kind of on a bit of a high, a bit of a low, a bit of a, oh, that, you know, that could have been better. So there's that emotional kind of up and down with it as well. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of both. I think, you know, you're talking to the England boys, that, and, you know, obviously that's not really for me to comment on because it's not my environment, but they're wrecked in comparison to the other, the other you know, countries. They, they get put through their paces while they're there. Oh, they and... get hammered. I'm amazed. And now, I mean, I mean that, that's kind of what I mean by psychology. I mean, maybe they come out of that thinking, God, we are really fit. Or maybe they come out thinking, we're knackered. And I don't know which one it is. Yeah, I, d- I don't necessarily know if it's my place to comment on that because obviously, as I said, yeah, it's not, not, not for me to, to say because I've not been there. But, you know, I, I guess it's just 
in the middle of a very attritional season, how helpful that is, I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's why they're playing for England, isn't it? So. Well, I mean, you've, you've got the choice of two headlines there, which is Greg Bateman says England are far fitter than all other teams, or Greg Bateman says England are flogged. I mean, which one do you want? I, I don't want either. <laughs> I, I don't want to. That's not for me to comment on. I, I say nothing on that. <laughs> uh, now you've you've had quite an interesting journey. Did, did you start? Did you start at Harlequins? I did. Yes, I was in their academy, and uh, then I moved. Uh, I, I went out into the real world, got a job. I was um, working in sales, sales management, and uh, really enjoyed that. And I think I was just at a point where I, I must have been what twenty twenty one, and I just said to myself, if I get to forty and wonder if you know. It would have been all right because I was going fairly well at a young age in, in the academy. Um, then I, I would really regret it. So I met up with um, a coach who used to coach me when I was younger. He was coaching Dorking, which was the, a sort of national side at the yeah. time. And he said, look, just come and play a season for us. And Because I wasn't even playing sort of local rugby at that point. Really? Just come and play a season for us and uh, see how you get on, see if you still love it. And I went and played and, and absolutely loved it. And obviously... You know, it's about being around the boys and stuff again, isn't it? And you kind of get that bug back. And somebody he used to play with uh, was an agent, or still is an agent. He's still my agent now. And we met up and, and had a chat, and he just said, oh, look, you know, London Welsh are looking for for someone that can play prop or hooker. I don't think they're really that, you know, bothered. But you, you could get kind of, you know, effectively a part-time salary, but it'll be, you know, a full-time position. And as I was in, in sales, and I was, from a financial point of view, doing doing well. And uh, But it came down to that decision of, you know, I could just do this for the next 15 years, and all right, yeah, I'll probably be in a great position, but I'll really regret if I didn't give rugby a crack. So I packed everything up and moved into my sister's spare room and went with Welsh, and somehow we ended up getting promoted to the Premiership. Amazing. And, uh, without a stadium, without kit, without rugby balls. Um, and we we actually almost stayed up in that first year as well under under Lynn's Lynn's coaching, but the the owner wrote to the rugby paper one day and said uh, that he's pulling out, and um, we'd all signed new contract extensions oh, based on us you know staying in the Premiership, and you know it was actually you know it was a big improvement for all of us. So it's like wow, you know we're going to build. A- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kind of a thing here at Welsh. Uh, and obviously then we had to go and find somewhere, you know, somewhere else to go. So I ended up going to Exeter for a couple of years. Um, it was done a little bit last minute and it didn't quite turn out to be the opportunity that I was hoping for. 
I think they had some guys there that I was playing hooker at the time that Rob really liked, and also uh, Luke Kandicki was just coming through the ranks and you know was was kind of getting blooded young as well. So I was in a bit of a difficult in betweeny kind of period. Yeah. And whilst I loved living down there, and it's I would it's my home from home. Devon and my my children actually live down there um, now, but uh, this I had to sort of again say to myself, but. I'm only going to get one chance to, to have my rugby career. I'm not going to get another chance. I, you know, I can come and live in Devon whenever. And uh, Tigers were, were looking for somebody at the time, and I, I went and met up with Cockers, and he was like, well, look, you know, we've got Tommy Youngs, we've got Leo Geraldini, but if you come and if if you're a good cunt, in his words, I don't know if you can beat that out, but <laughs> no, then, you know, you'll, you'll get an opportunity. And uh, I, I got a few opportunities in that first year, a couple of injuries and then in that second year all the tightheads fell over and Cocker said look I think you know realistically you, you might be looking at, at playing more prop for us so I started doing some tighthead stuff and that went well um, and then I'm over on the loose head side so it's kind of um, the, the Swiss Army penknife that yeah. uh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I always I always assume I always assumed that you moved to tighthead for that ti- for for that tighthead cash <laughs> yeah I was still waiting for it still waiting for that check to clear actually uh, so I, I need to ask this: What were you selling? What was I selling? Yeah, so we used to sell uh, HGV and LGV training courses. Um, really? That's what you were doing? Yeah, it's great. I loved that job. It's the you know just get takeaway for lunch every day. And, <laughs> it's fantastic. You know, top seller. You get five hundred quid cash and a bottle of champagne to take home. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Uh, that. That's awesome. So, I, I, so one of the things I always think about is all the players, all the talent, and there's so much, so much of it that goes goes to to the academy, and for whatever reason, it doesn't make it, and then they just seem to drift away from the game. And it, it, it's always a nice story to hear about a guy who does something and then says, "Actually, no, I am going to give this give this another crack," because it's actually relatively rare. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know to be honest. I, I suppose. Um... You know, speaking to some of the younger lads, you know, they, they might miss out on the academy for the the first year, but then they're still playing rugby and they're only sort of 17 to 18 and then they get another chance the year after. It's probably rare, I suppose, like you say, to kind of come back and come through the leagues. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously lucky that I'm in that position. But I think then, you know, I've, I've put a lot of work in to get to where I am and I've taken opportunities to get to, to this position and, the opportunity to come to to Leicester Tigers versus the the other clubs at the time from Exeter, uh, you look at it and you think to yourself, well, this is what it's about. It's about playing for a club of this size. And all right, they're not at the moment. We're, we're not where we should be or where we want to be. But if you're a football player, you want to play for Man United or you want to play for Liverpool because uh, they're massive clubs with loads of history, and you want to be a part of that. And that was what got me really excited about Tigers, and I've fallen in love with the place since um, since being here. So it's been great. Now, what is your first day at Tigers like? You, do they kind of make you aware that this is Tigers? Yeah. So, um, well, I don't know actually. It's, it's probably my first day at Tigers was pre-season during the uh, the last World Cup campaign, which was obviously. Wow. Not brilliant, but obviously all the big dogs are away. At, at Oval Park, there's two changing rooms. There's the big dog changing room and the other chain, the dungeon it's called. It's got no windows in it. Oh, right, okay. And uh, obviously you have to be invited into the big dog changing room. So uh, I 
was in the dungeon and just having a laugh with, with, with my mates that were there, pratting around. And then when the senior boys came back from the World Cup, uh, you know, a bit of a humbling experience for them, I suppose. Uh, a few weeks later, you you know, you soon realise that it's uh, it's a very stern environment. But I suppose your first day at Tigers for me was the same pre-season talk that lots of those boys had listened to about Richard Cockrell talking about the culture and the history of the club and getting you drummed into you know something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, uh, it's obviously going to be different now. Uh, but that's that's very much what it was like at the time. Yeah, because I, I guess if you've come to rugby relatively recently, you'll know the name Leicester Tigers. But unless you've followed them for a number of years and watched them for a number of years, it's hard quite. It's hard to quantify exactly how big they are and, and you know how storied that history is. Oh, it's um, it's amazing, isn't it? And we we're in the process of sort of um, talking about the posters that we've got up at the training ground and some of the stuff we've got around and just sort of creating our, our new, our new dynasty from, from here onwards, as opposed to sort of latching onto the past. And, you know, mm. if there's one thing Tigers are world-class at is latching onto the past. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it served them well. Well, it has. Yeah. And getting rid of some of that stuff and just, you know, owning it going forward, but not forgetting what's, what's gone before because you owe it to, to those blokes that have done it. Um, but you walk around and you'll see, like a, an appearance list and there's people with 500 appearance at Davy Matthews and mm. there's blokes that played for England that I watched when I was younger that are on the board and they trained in that same facility and you know, you, you know what I mean and they've Absolutely. got 300 appearances for Tigers and you think to yourself wow you know and maybe a, a year or two I might tick over 100 but, and it is, but it feels like home to me and um, like an adoptive adopted son of of Leicester Tigers. I wonder if that's... I mean, I'm just thinking aloud here, so uh, tell me if I'm wrong or tell me tell me shut up. But I wonder if that's, like, one of the big differences between, like, an Exeter, where if you're a player at Exeter right now or you have been for the last 10 years, you have the opportunity to write your own history and write the history for the club. Whereas at Tigers, it's going to be bloody hard to be one of the Tigers greats. Yeah, um... Isn't it just? But you, you, you're not going to be a Tigers great until you know you're not playing anymore. And you're yeah, that's right, that's right. So I don't, I don't think anybody thinks about that. I, I certainly don't. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks t- about you know what they'll be remembered as while they're playing. Because as alluded to earlier on a few times, we're we're just prepping for every weekend. You don't have time to think about what people are going to remember you as as a as a player when you finish. And I think that's something that will deal with itself. Um, yeah, you know. because, I, I, again, just, just just sort of thinking aloud, I think Gareth Steenson might be Exeter's greatest ever player. Or if he's not, he's, like, in the top five. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's got a pub, so... Yeah, he's got he's two now, hasn't he? No, is a top fella, and uh, what Steeno's done is he's he's been there for the whole story, from the whole story so far. Yeah. Eventually, you know, Steno's going to have to hang up his boots, and you know, hopefully, that's a, that's a while off yet. But he's somebody that, because he's part of the biggest change in that club, he's going to be remembered for a very long time. Whereas, you know, going forward, somebody wins another league or whatever, and then disappears off in two, three years' time, they're not going to be as well remembered as Steno. Um, and 
he is, you know, he encapsulates a lot of what Exeter's about. And as a bloke as well, he's a, a fantastic guy to be led by and to, to spend time with. So, yeah. Uh, now, just dragging you a bit further down mem- uh, uh, memory lane, you got promoted oh. with London Welsh for the first time around. Is that is that correct? That's right, yeah. So was that, I'm just trying to get this right, is that the Neil, Neil Briggs, Jonathan Mills team or was that the year afterwards? Yeah, no, Briggsy and Millsy. That's the one. Excellent. So, what was that? What was that playoff final like? Well, how on? It was a two-legged final, was it not yeah. against Bristol? Pirates um, uh, we had. Oh yeah, of course it was because then. So, how on? Let me get this right. Pirates? Did the Pirates beat Bristol, or did you guys beat Bristol on the way? I oh god, uh, I think we beat Bristol in the semi, and then we. Yeah, we had pirates in the final. That's right, because they've got they've they they were playing with like people like Gavin Cattle, Dave Ward, Nemo, the uh, the 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 uh, those sort of lads, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I think we played them away first, didn't we? And it, I think we got like a really great away result because it's obviously aggregate, like you know, yeah, fifteen five or nineteen something, or do you know what I mean? Like we gave ourselves a really decent advantage to then come home and and do well with. I came off the bench in both those games, actually, and uh, it was one of those where you just think, like, two years before, I was selling train <laughs> for lorry licences, and all of a sudden, we're promoted into the Premiership, and I'm... The, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very uh, nostalgic moment. It's a nice thing, nice memory to have that. Um, a real turning point. It is quite an incredible thing. Do you, do you remember anything from the day? Like, do you remember uh, the team talking the... Bi- Team talk in the build-up, or is there any part of the ge- of of well, I say the game of the games which really stands out for you? Do you know, I don't think there is um, because I think it was such a sort of big thing for me in like my life, rather than like an isolated game. As I say, it's kind of after what was an incredible three-day bender after the final, the second leg of the final, uh, that reality check of it, right, somehow it's I'm in the premiership and they've accepted us to to be promoted. That was obviously, it all had to go through the courts to allow us into the league and it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience and as I say, it was more to do with that change in my life than it was like a, a rugby match, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's also quite quite weird as well to be so heavily involved with something which is so so insular, and then you know, you're going on your three day bender. But actually, outside outside of the world of rugby, hardly anyone knows it knows it really occurred, and and that must be quite a strange, quite quite a strange juxtaposition. Yeah, well, especially like you know, you say, oh, you play for London Welsh, who? <laughs> even though London Welsh has probably got even more history than Tigers, yeah. not, not not anymore, obviously. RIP, but uh, you know, th- th- does that mean that they play in London or are they a Welsh team? Or it, it, if you, you're in London, are you going to be watching Chelsea or Fulham, or are you going to go and watch London Welsh at Old Deer Park versus Rotherham <laughs> with with three thousand people? You're probably not going to, are you? So it was a very interesting kind of battle from that sense for the club, and I think that's what part of their move to Oxford was. Um, to try and you know, make a new a new fan base around there, yeah. which in theory would have been great, but obviously the 
points deduction and all that game towards so, so the end of that. What was that for? That was uh, was that the what was his name Tyson someone or other? Tyson Keats, yeah. That's so it was actually yeah. no, obviously nothing to do with the player. The, the the manager at the time copped up the um, the visa, I believe, and uh, the, the poor bloke was registered uh, played while not being eligible, um, or even though he actually had ancestry and could play in the country. So, yeah, we were deducted 10 points, five there and then, and five were deferred. But it was at the time where we had, like, that really important game against Sale where they were having the worst season they've ever had. Yeah. And uh, we just happened to get that points deduction. It was just such a kick in the teeth at the time. And we lost that Sale game, and, and that was it. Yeah, it, 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 it was a tough year. But I kind of think London Welsh were really caught you know, between two places. They're probably the grandest or one of the grandest of the amateur clubs. I think that's sort of where their heritage still is. So they, they have disbanded now, but the amateur side still exists. And they've got, I think they're targeting like four promotions in five years or, or, or something like that. But the amount of fans that they're getting to games is almost what they were getting when, when they're in the premiership. And this is for like level eight rugby. So there's still still good things going on there. And it shows that they've got a good core. But whether that can be you know, expanded to premiership level again, or or if it ever could in the first place, I think that's the real question. Yeah, that's and that's the difficulty is you just can't compete at this level with with that unless you've just got a benefactor, which was Kelvin at the time, throwing throwing money in, and that's 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 not necessarily good for the game, is it? Yeah. Um, but I'm not saying it's bad. It's it's just one of those if you you know you're trying to make clubs be financially independent. There's only only one club that actually turned a profit last year anyway, so, yeah. you know, I yeah. don't know how it actually makes a difference, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask you what you think about ring um, about ring fencing, but I'm, I'm sure you're not particularly keen particularly keen to comment on that. Um, well, I mean, it wouldn't be my place to comment on it. I think, uh, for a one-liner answer, I just think it has to be well thought through for all parties. Yeah. Um, it was my like the extent we're kind of given the initial draft of what an extended season is supposed to be like then you find out that they're trying to sell the premiership so actually in all likelihood this is a bit of a conspiracy theory but you know they're probably released that they're going to extend the season to increase the value of the sale of the premiership so you kind of it just has to be right for everybody doesn't it and obviously I'm a player in the premiership so the most important thing to me is the welfare of me and me and my mates. Yeah, uh, I completely accept that. That's all right. I just said uh, that I completely accept that I choose to do this for a living. So it's uh, I understand that it's to do with numbers and TV rights and deals. And at, at the end of the day, the, the money's got to come from somewhere. So I do completely accept that uh, as well. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's us that put our bodies on the line. So. You know, you'd like to to make sure that that's okay too. It's such a difficult one. I, I mean, actually, such an answer wasn't it? I didn't, yeah. I never, didn't really commit to either way, but uh, yeah. Well, I'll 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 let you off that. Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I guess being a rugby player is kind of like a deal with the devil, isn't it? Because you're going to have to put your body through some some pretty tough stuff. So, for you, is I mean, the, the money obviously is worth it now because you're still playing. Otherwise, you wouldn't play. But how much? How much more do you think that you'd need, or how much? Uh, how, how much more would you take on? Uh, I should say. Um, and do you think the money would um, would be worth it, or do you think there's a point where you're going to say no? Uh, 
enough's enough. I can't do 20-something games a season or 30-something games, games a season, regardless of money. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, oh, I don't really know the answer to that question because you can't even fathom it unless it's, it's in front of you. And they're not talking about increasing fixtures with the extended team that's to create breaks around international so international players are more available for the clubs yeah but which you know in theory i, I think it's great and i think as well i actually think that international players are well compensated for playing rugby so I, I don't really see too much of an issue with it and that's easy for me to say because i'm not in that position but yeah i think uh, i don't know if i can answer oh would you do another 10 games for another 100 grand that's i don't exactly really yeah. know um but I know that players are at close to max capacity as it is, as I was alluding to earlier, just the premiership being as attritional and physical and demanding as it is. You know, there's not the opportunity to rest or, or take your foot off the pedal. Do you, do, you, do you ever look at any of your colleagues and think, goodness me, you know, you look exhausted or you, know, you really need a rest? Yeah, daily. In, in, and how do you think... How do you think the clubs, or in fact the unions, could work together better just just to make sure that these guys are in better condition? Oh my god, uh, I have absolutely no idea. I think it, you, cause what we want is, a, as we said before, we, we want a competitive league because you you want to play in big pressure games and you want to be able to go from eighth to second in a couple of weeks and all the exciting stuff that comes with that. And you know. I've got the best job in the world uh, in that sense. Like, you know, and it's, it's amazing having that opportunity and that privilege. Uh, but I think there's just that appreciation. We're obviously talking about education and welfare and stuff. I just think if players are, are well prepared for life after rugby, that helps them throw everything into it while they're doing it. Well, I certainly feel like that's the case for me is if I've got one eye on the other stuff that I'm doing, that's, that helps me during the week when I'm at training or when I'm planning for stuff, I can throw myself into it. Yeah. Whereas if you feel like your whole, and this is different for every hard and fast rule, um, I think if you're only focused, for me, if my only focus is rugby, I find that very, very tiring. Yeah. Um, so I like to have other things to do. I like to, to, to spend time with my friends or, my girlfriend or like, do stuff that's completely unrelated to rugby because it's such a high pressure and uh, you know physically and emotionally demanding thing. I like to do stuff that isn't like that all the time. Otherwise, there's no come down, is there? Yeah, and actually, people forget that the vast, vast majority of rugby players are playing it for an escape from work and family and everything else. Whereas, actually, you know, you guys are the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably uh, it's interesting. Yeah, we, it's not. It's that's not our escape. We, we're looking for an escape somewhere else. Yeah, which is not an escape because you you don't love it. It's just you have to take take that uh, mental and uh, physical rest when you can because it is so so much. Now let's just get a, a tiny uh, let's let's add a little bit of geekery into this conversation. Um, oh God, how helpful I can be with that? <laughs> well, you're a man that plays three three positions. Uh, both sides of the front row and, and and also hooker, right? I cannot understand for the life of me why more tight heads don't play loose head or why some loose heads don't in some occasionally easy, easy fixtures or easier fixtures move over to tight head just to increase their value. I, I don't understand why so much is made out of the different 
out of the different front row positions. So why don't you educate me? Okay, so uh, they are entirely different by nature, which is why it's difficult to do. Uh, at tight head, you're obviously, you know, in a simple sense, at tight head, you're against two blokes. At loose head, you're against one bloke. Mm. So you need to be able to keep your weight and pressure down. At loose head, you're trying to keep it up and, and not be collapsed upon. So it's almost like the opposite. Um, I don't know the answer as to why more people don't do it, but I guess if you're always... Like I remember the first time that I played tight head from being a hooker, and it just felt so alien. Or I remember the first time moving over to loose head, it just felt so different. So because every week you have to win, they're not going to just throw somebody in across on the other side of the scrum mm. because it's, it's it's too much of a risk. Yeah. You lose too much field position, you lose penalties, it's not worth it. Uh, so completely understand the point, but when do you get the opportunity to blood yourself in the premiership at, at all positions? You don't. And I, I guess... But I just kind of think, like, as it's... Oh, sorry, Greg. You just got cut out there. Um, I just think, like, as a professional sport, I look at someone like Ashley Johnson, who converted himself to hooker. I think that's a bloody smart guy there. He's probably just increased his time at Wasps by about three years. Um, I just wonder, like, why aren't these... I'm surprised that more people in training aren't saying to the coach, hey, coach, uh, you know, all the 12s are down. Uh, I usually play on the wing, but, you know, I'll give it a go at 12 if... If, if, um, if that helps you out. And it just makes everyone a little bit more valuable. I'd have thought prop, propping would have been the ideal place, really, to do that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I can start kicking goals for you if you want, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, really, know, um, I don't really know why. I, I guess because, as I say, you're unlikely to just get thrown in. It's going to be more of a circumstance that there's injuries that they then... So, Especially prop because it's a specialist that they're going to chuck you in. Um... Mm. Now, one of the problems I I have uh, coaching at level eight, as I do, is persuading guys to play in the front row. What what do you like about it? That's assuming that you do like it. <laughs> um, what do I like about playing in the front row? Uh, God, I'm going to make something up. <laughs> I think uh, the good thing about playing in the front row is it, it is very it's front-line confrontation, isn't it? So you're in the thick of the action very quickly. If you like that physical part of the game, it's it's uh, it provides that. I think also it's incredibly specialist, so you're always going to be important to a team if you can if you can scrum well, you can live well in lines, etc., etc. Uh, it, it's actually probably one of those like real underrated positions for your average rugby fan. If you know, if yeah. you've got really good props that can do other things in the game, it makes such a big difference. Um, which is obviously why international games have moved a lot away from set piece. So. Mm. Yeah. And I, I really, really regret that the international game or people around the international game are talking about things like deep hiring scrums. I actually think it's, uh, it's probably one of the more glorious things in, in all of rugby, actually. Yeah, I think that's that's something that uh, we've talked about. Uh, they obviously changed the game uh, what two three years ago now, mm. and that you know that decision's made uh, by a board of lads who haven't played the game of in the professional area. You know, they may have played 
a long time ago and actually I don't necessarily know if it's made it any better or worse or safer or unsafer but they just decided that they want to do that because they want the ball in and out to yeah. play uh, but you know you start to see now how teams teams are getting used to the, the law changes and it it means that we can get advantage and which we used to be able to get a scrum and I think that's that's what makes rugby union a fascinating game to watch because you you have to have a team of completely different individuals on a pitch you have to have short fat blokes like me that can push a scrum and but run. then have to be able to chase down really small quick blokes like that's where you get the excitement of rugby because you've got the mix mash of people otherwise you might as well just watch rugby league where it's just agree. big men straight into that's <laughs> that's not not to dis rugby league that's why Union's special is because it's... The other thing I don't really like about rule changes, particularly on scrimmaging, is that if you're a professional and you've spent nine years perfecting the craft of the engage and then they take it away, um, or sorry, the hit, and then they take it away, I mean, that actually has like serious consequences for, 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 for individuals who scrimmage in that way. Yeah, it does, yeah. Well, you saw... Um... You can say Adam Jones, by any chance. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't going to say Adam Jones. But some players that you know came through that school of, of scrummaging, and that's how they were brought up, or how they learn, and why they were paid an awful lot of money. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we've we've solved that. Uh, yeah. Uh, exactly right. Now. <laughs> now the last thing, uh, which I wanted to go over, and uh, you never know, but I have been reading Wikipedia. And there's a World Cup around the corner, and you're qualified for Wales. So, have you got any? Uh, have you have you got any uh, reach out that you want to say to um, what uh, uh, to Warren Gatland? Do you want to make sure that he knows that you're available, or maybe maybe text Jonah Holmes? I uh, I, w- I cannot comment on that. But, <laughs> um, but thank you very much for noticing that I I am Welsh qualified. Um, no, uh, the opportunity to play a World Cup would obviously be uh, fantastic. But it, for me, it's important to get my head down and make sure that I prepare well for, for a big European game on Friday. I can give you a very media trained response and tell you that it's all about the next few weeks. And that, to be fair, well, is the most important thing. I mean, you are, as always, absolutely right. But I will just say this, a shortened squad, a, multi, a multi-position player, Across the front row, and playing against Scarlets too. Not not a better place to to uh, showcase your many talents, Greg. Well, we'll see. I'll, I'll uh, let you know on Saturday morning. Excellent. Now, Greg, um, thank thank you so much for join for for joining me today. We've just uh, we've just done an hour, which is which is absolutely flown past. Um, where can we find you on social media? Where can you find me? I'm on Twitter and uh, and Instagram, uh, just Greg Bateman, I think, or I might be Bateman G on on Twitter, actually. I'm I'm mainly an Instagrammer, which is just Greg Bateman. That's me. Excellent. Well, mate, thank you so so much for coming up. And when you're in the Northwest playing against Sale or uh, whenever you're around, we'll uh, we'll have to catch up. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.